podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Welcome to Scouser Tommy's and Anfield Index. I'm Jim Boardman and today I'm joined by Tony Evans. On this show, what we try to do is give you a feel for what it's like to be a Liverpool fan when you've grown up with the best club in the world on your doorstep, when you've grown up with Liverpool Football Club on your doorstep, when it's what it's like to be a Liverpool fan when the city of Liverpool is the city that means the most to you. You know, it's maybe a different opinion or a different perspective, a different view, a different feel for what it's like to be a Red who still fell in love with the club but maybe fell in love from a distance. And I think it's a bit sad at the moment that there's kind of stuff kicking off, mainly on the internet, usually on the internet. It's always the internet where stuff kicks off these days, I think. And it's kind of pitting local Reds with non-local Reds, out-of-towners against against locals, and it just it, it never ends well. And most of the time, these things are kicking off, and it's just a sort of... It's like a, a almost like a minority view from either side of the fence because there's always a fence appears when it's on social media. People are always entrenched in one position or another, and most of the time it's just exaggerated out of belief. So, I think this is something we're going to try and do in a future show. Talk about it from our side and how we feel, and maybe um, you know try and make some sense of what's going on. We'll see. We'll try and do that if we can. But I think the main thing to do is to say, look, we all need to stick together. We all support Liverpool. We all want Liverpool to do well. And, you know, maybe rather than being angry all the time with each other, we need to be angry about the game itself, about the authorities that run it and the people who've let it turn into what it has turned into. All all the negative stuff, you know, let's complain to FIFA and UEFA. Let's not complain to each other or at each other. Let's have a moan at the FA and the Premier League ownership if you like than than complain at fans who just live in a different city in a different country to you or wherever because if if you're red then what matters to you when we're talking about the red should be that football club and I hope it does now it's not the first time we've had turmoil and I think some of the turmoil at the moment is down to takeover talk FSG announced before Christmas that they were looking for investment that was headlined in the first place that announced this this story as Liverpool going to be sold which I think was an exaggeration on what the actual statement said but who knows are they trying to sell up are they just trying to sell a bit are they not even trying are they just basically say look if anyone wants a bit come and talk to us here you go give us a good price and we'll let, we might let you have some um, who knows the truth is nothing's really happening now is it except for all of us fighting amongst each other and the club not doing really well and this is just a recipe for animosity and I was thinking back to the last time we were taken over and the time before that, I mean, the first time we were taken over that I remember was, of course, when uh, Hicks and Gillette came in promising all kinds of great things, spades in in the ground in no time at all, no debt on the club, and they even threw money into a transfer kitty and all of a sudden it really felt like we were going somewhere. Didn't last long, of course. They were in debt. The debt was basically on the club and, yeah, the club nearly went under. Along came FSG and... 
let's face it, rescued us from a bad situation. Now, whatever your views on FSG, I can't think anyone can actually say that they are worse than Hicks and Gillette. If you're saying that, then you're really just trying to cause an argument. But I think um, it feels bad at the moment to be a red because things aren't going well. And being a red is a roller coaster ride. You're, you're on ups and downs so often. And we're definitely on a down at the moment. But if you look back to all the stuff that happened in, you know, last time there was a takeover, they were some dark days. And I think as dark as they feel now, Tony, these dark days, I mean, we've been through a lot worse than we're going through now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, initially, uh, well, I mean, it's drumbled on for a couple of years, hasn't it? Um, when David Moores uh, realised that he, he, you know, he, or, or came to believe that he couldn't run the club, he couldn't, you know, be in a sustainable manner. And it wasn't too different then. You know, Chelsea had come in and changed the landscape with the Spens and Roman Abramovich in the same way City have done that now. And he had an ownership as going, well, you know, what we need to do is get new investment to compete. And the investments obviously come from uh, uh, Tom Hicks and George Gillette, who, you know, initially everything looked good. We reached the Champions League final, lost to Milan 2007, for Torres, and it was like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, everything seemed positive. But then the global credit crunch hit, and that was the end of their financial firepower. And what's really interesting is that Tom Hicks Jr., um, oh, yes. he, he, you know, he said, like, um, when I asked them once about the value they were setting on the club because they wanted 600 million, and that was like at the time, it was like, you're joking, it's yeah. ridiculous. And, um, and he said, within 10 years, he said, they'll be giving us 200 million before a ball's being kicked, and he meant television. And I was like, get out of here, it can't be true. And sure enough, he was right, uh, they, they knew what they were doing. At the stars, they just didn't have the money to maintain it. Yeah, because that's it. I mean, it started out, didn't it? George Gillette nearly he was interested in buying the club on his own, couldn't do it. Brought Hicks in, and of course that that in a way was another another big issue as well. Because not only wherever, wherever was happening with the money, it was that that fifty fifty thing where you know they had to agree on things. They could sort of veto each other's ideas, and it quite clearly got personal after a while. Um, I mean, you're talking about Hicks then. I mean, the, behind the scenes, Hicks was basically saying that they were given the impression that they were the wealthier ones of the two and it was it was Gillette holding them back and things. But you can't help but think, if that was really the case, you know, and you really were okay for money yourselves and it was him holding you back, you could have bought him out. You could have bought, you know, another 25% off him, maybe over the odds. But if that 200 million was coming for TV money in 10 years, you know you'd get it back. But as you say, um, the banks closed them down and they didn't give a chance. But then... I remember that one thing that wound me up, I think, later on when all this all the sale had gone through was how well Royal Bank of Scotland seems to have done out of Liverpool. Um, you know, they were, I don't know, to me they kind of stood in the way of a sale being done. I might be wrong, but it just felt that way. And even even when the club was taken over, I'm pretty sure there were sort of provisions in there that, that you know, FSG pretty much had to agree to stay in with Royal Bank of Scotland once they'd taken over or, you know, the club's, the club's banking stay with Royal Bank of Scotland and um, I get, you know, it, there was a credit crunch, there was there was a crisis going on in the banking industry and all the rest of it, but, you know, it's unusual for banks to be poor, isn't it? It just feels like they, they definitely played a part in the troubles we had. Oh, definitely, definitely. And they were trying to maximise their, you know, their... Oh, is profit the wrong word? No, profit. <laughs> they were maximising their profits out of it. And they were doing... They were up to all kinds of shenanigans. 
Um, it was it, it was a very very strange time, and uh, you know we had so many competing factions. Uh, it was untrue, and the 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 disinformation that was coming out the club was mind boggling. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, at the moment, you know, people are complaining because they don't know what's going on, and that's probably because there's very little going on. Yeah, but but it's it's very different to back then when there was like ten or fifteen liars feeding you different lines on a daily mm. basis. Yeah, all, all these different vested interests in some way. I mean, even, and, and there were people who were sort of maybe telling you things that, or saying things, or believed things, um, and they were trying to, you know, give information out for the, what they thought was the right reasons. I think the amount of times I'd like hear of kind of ex-players indirectly about the bad stuff going on at the club, and then you look back and think, they've been fed a line by someone here. Um, okay, I, I, I was going to try and leave his name out of it for a while, but I think... Um, well before there was any real talk about the club being in financial trouble. I think it was maybe the early days of some potential issues, but they were still kind of playing it down. And long before he was publicly revealed, I remember seeing Christian Perslow in a hotel um, talking to Tom Hicks Jr. And, well, he was definitely... There was something... We, we've talked about him still, and I suppose we've got to watch what we say to some extent. But Cecil, Cecil, as we as we came to knowingly, uh, lovingly call him... Um, there was something going on with him stirring the pot, definitely from early on. And, um, you know, even to the point where he was one of the people who was causing so much division because he seemed to be going off to players to say things and then going off to Rafa to say something else. And then I can remember a day, and I think you and I were on the phone that week quite a bit with other people as well. And he phoned me up one day and he basically, he started off the call by telling me that if I told anyone else about this call, he'd basically, you know, he knows people, he'd have me ridiculed and he'd have me made to look foolish and all this kind of stuff, which you know, I was quaking so much as I was taking this call with laughter. Um, but the story he told me then was different to the story he told you. And, you know, you and I and others were comparing notes and he was just basically going round, saying what he thought people wanted to hear, but totally not realising that, as he's going into all this detail about the big things, he's messing up on all the small details. And I don't know, he must have been something to do with all the information early on, the misinformation that was coming out. Well, with one of those things that people, you know, so particularly people who are not involved in the, you know, in the city and all that, they don't realise that Liverpool's a village. Yeah. It's the worst possible village. And everyone, you know, everyone talks to each other. So if you've got someone who's telling one story and then it turns out that he's told a different stories to someone else, then it's going to get out there and everyone's <laughs> going to know about it before, you know, before long. So, so that, that, that was happening all the time. And it, it was amazing. And again, you know, when people come into the club, you know, sort of the, um, when a bit later on, when Jen Chiang come in, um, that was my first bit of advice as communications director is don't tell anyone anything that yeah. you don't want everyone to know yeah. because they will before, you know, it'll get round. So that there was an element of that. And when you've got various people pl- trying to play off each other, you know, it's, um, it makes for a, a fairly toxic mix and, and blimey, did it get toxic? <laughs> well, it got toxic enough. I mean, you're saying that about, you know, Quite obviously, as I, you know, I, I, I'll talk. My, my biggest concern at the time, and you were the same, was always. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. 
from our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. You don't want this club to go under, you want it to thrive. You know, you sort of, you know, your list of priorities was, you know, if, if we were sort of, I mean, if we were Everton at the moment, if we were sort of big fans of Everton at the moment, and still do to some extent, we'd be extremely worried about that club. And we'd be, you know, trying to get to the truth and trying to find out what it is and seeing through seeing through as many lies as we could because we wanted the club to be well. And I think I think that's what so many people were doing to the extent that um, we had a dossier written about us. And I know we've talked about it a little bit on here, but... Um, it, it it's definitely genuine. I know where it came from. I know who I know who got it out of the club, so to speak. So I know it's genuine. And the dossier was basically comparing certain people who were fighting for the sake of the club, you know, trying to get to the truth, trying to stop the club being messed about, and it branded people as um, members of the Khmer Rouge. Yeah, it was um, it was an <laughs> extreme comparison. You know, uh, a genocidal group <laughs> that was responsible for the murders of upwards of a million people, probably a lot more, and of course a bunch of dopes who were like wanted to keep the football club alive. <laughs> uh, and and well, I mean, it certainly was real because later on, during the um, when Fenway Sports Group took over, uh, that someone from the club phoned me and officially apologised for us. Because mm. obviously it was leaked during their term. And they said, it's not your fault. You weren't involved. We know that, who, who, those were, who were to blame of it. And they put their initials on it, for God's sake. Um, <laughs> and like, um, you know, so so we knew. But some of the stuff that said in there was absolutely amazing. The Guardian didn't run a piece on it because um, what the, the lawyers have advised them that I, I was in a position to sue. Because it said I was, uh, I think it said something to the effect I was um, an admitted football hooligan who caused trouble at Heisel oh, and went 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 to America to escape the consequences. And I'm like, <laughs> well, hang on, they've got the time and completely wrong. You know, it's um, you know, it's uh, uh, I, I, and I think um, I, you know, I was like to the Guardian, why didn't you just phone me? You know, yeah. there's no way I would have sued on this. But yeah, I mean, it made some absolutely appalling allegations and. Um, and, and what was best about it was the paranoia. It linked together lots of people who actually hadn't spoken or met to each other. <laughs> it didn't actually get to the network of people who were actually involved. And there's, there's people who were on that list who didn't deserve to be on it and who were still who were still trading off it, you know, one of them. And there's people who never made it who were like, why wasn't I on it? Yeah, I deserve yeah. to be on it. You know, that's... Um, and it's quite funny because you look back now, and um, uh, here we are. What? Uh, how many years later? Thirteen years later, and it's just you think it's inconceivable that people at a football club could be coming up essentially with blacklists. But yeah, yeah sure enough, they did, and um, and it, it's one of those I think lessons for Everton fans who are who are you know obviously are going to be in the next few months. I suspect embroiled in a struggle to keep you know their club in a, a, a reasonable state that you know it's um the, 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 there are people 
in these situations who are capable of uh, things which, frankly, you wouldn't you wouldn't believe when you read about it. I think as well, like one of the one of the maddest parts of it was when you read it, and it kind of sort of dates the dates it to some extent. But everyone in those days, um, I mean, Twitter was in its infancy, and Facebook was the thing where you just listened to your, you know, you just saw pictures of your auntie's dog and things like that. There was no, you know, the activism in a way was all kind of done sort of face to face, friend to friend, phone to phone, and on forums. Um, because they'd actually gone to the effort of finding out who people were on different forums, like the Liverpool Way, the Rattle, or R-A-O-T-L. Um, it's kind of not really part of the fanzine, is it? But it's sort of got the same name. Um, all of these places, some of which you had to be members to actually get on there. So you had to kind of almost be, not not quite be vetted, but you couldn't just, you know, they'd been sort of set up so that they were going to be infiltrated by Manx every time we played them, because they used to like to come on and do um, Hillsborough things, didn't they, just before we played them on forums. But even yeah. gone to the extent of like working out who people's real names were on all the forums. So that list had everyone's sort of forum handles because you didn't, you weren't known as like, you know, you weren't known as Tony Evans on a forum. You'd have a, you'd have a, like a nickname, and they'd gone to that extent where, you know, it must have taken some hours for that quite senior member of Liverpool staff to do that. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the amount of effort they put into was, like, it's amazing. And for, and, and for that amount of effort, for the, the for the rewards and the veracity of it, to be so so paltry was, you know, <laughs> absolutely mind-boggling. But, yeah, it was it, it was it was a weird time. And, we, you know, we, we, we've got, obviously, the Fenway Sports Group, the FSG outers at the moment, but it, it just doesn't seem to be much of a comparison, really. I mean, that, that seems to be a Twitter thing where, you know, uh, uh, people are, you know, they, uh, I love the, um, the, the, you know, the, there was supposed to be a process march last week, wasn't there? <laughs> and the turnout was brilliant. And and in, in a sense, it does, it tells you everything. Because, like, you know, everyone wants to think all the time that scousers are predisposed to protest and, and, you know, and that we're just up for a fight all the time. And it's not true. No. What we want to do is be treated with decency, and we we respond to injustice. We respond to when things are are not right, and that's when we'll protest. And frankly, Fenway Sports Group have done nothing except run the club prudently in a time when you probably need to spend like you know you need to spend like a, a sovereign state. Yeah, and um, and so they've done it. And while um, I, you know, I'm never been completely sold on them. Um, you know, so that, that I, 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 I'm always amused by the fact that, like, um, I was for a long time was regarded as their number one enemy. At the same time, <laughs> when I was co- collaborating with John Henry on his open letter to supporters, but you know, I've always been extremely critical of them when they've been wrong. Yeah, but, and I think know, that's the thing, though. Is, but you're critical in a constructive way, which is important. Mm, yeah, yeah, I hope so. And you know, it's um, but you know, they 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 have not been bad custodians of the club. Um, you know, there could be a lot worse. I say we live through Gillette and Hicks, but yeah. yeah, clearly they've made a decision that their time to operate like they're operating is over, and it won't work that way. And what, what I mean, you know, I've, I've known since 2015 when uh, in a conversation with uh, John Emery that they, you know, they were looking at some point to get out. And that was probably right from the beginning. You know, they, 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 they took a view on that. And so it's, it's not completely unexpected, but especially since the, uh, you know, the, the now Newcastle and, um, you know, Manchester City's position, you know, it's uh, 
So I, so I think that they've, they've realised, they've thought to themselves, you know, we can't do this in a way we want to. Because, believe it or not, and, and people don't, but Henry very much wants to win. And he's, he's enjoyed both for the Red Sox and Liverpool. The reflected glamour it's given him. Yeah. You know, it's um, you know, he, he as he once said, he was always a nerd. He was never, to put in American terms, a jock. And um, <laughs> but he, he got a sense of what it was like to be a superstar when he won. You know, with um, with the Red Sox, and he said like, oh, when Liverpool win the league, it'll be even bigger. Uh, as it was, it was in the middle of COVID, so it wasn't quite as big. But even so, he understood the you know the the desire to win. The you know the importance. Of if you do own a club, of winning, so so you know, never be sure. It wasn't about just keeping the ticking over in the bottom line. You know, they they wanted Liverpool to be successful, and to be fair, they brought a, a, a fair amount of success. I mean, having you know, I think sometimes in this discourse it gets forgotten that we didn't win the league for thirty years, no. and then we did, and like, well, hang on. Doesn't someone deserve a bit of credit for that? And obviously, Jurgen Klopp, massive amounts. But the the, the the ownership and the way they backed them, I mean, certainly in the first five years of the way when they took over the club, they didn't run it in a way that I considered satisfactory. But um, certainly the Klopp era has been has been significantly better on so many so many points, you know. Yeah, it, it has been. I think I think we forget. I mean, that process you mentioned then at the start as well. The first I knew about it was when I saw people telling me it hasn't happened. Um, but, you know, if I'd have walked past the place where it was meant to happen, I wouldn't have known there was a protest either because there was no, but nobody turned up. And I think, I think in Liverpool, the thing as well we've learned to do is to pick our fights and to pick our moments and to keep our powder dry until we need to use it because we, we've had to do that because, you know, we've... Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. You know, we, we get ignored sometimes. So what you know, you sometimes have to kind of just just sit back, wait. You know, gather the evidence, gather, find out what's really going on. Is there as big a problem as you think, and and then get get it dealt with. And that um, that stuff about the division, though that that we had real protests when Hicks and Gillette were were messing the club about. We had real protests, and I think I think one of the most striking moments for me was when. I don't know about you, but to me personally, if someone sort of stuck a Union Jack on the floor in front of me and I was, you know, in front of the door, I'd wipe my feet on the Union Jack quite happily. It wouldn't bother me in the slightest, you know. Oh. My, feet, my feet needed wiping, the Union Jack would be fine. I'm not worried, you know, I don't mind. <laughs> but people were burning the US flag and the outrage that that got, the attention that got was unreal. Now, I'm not, 
I'm not bothered about flags, and I genuinely don't understand, don't understand the out the outrage about it. But I do believe that there's outrage about it, and that again was was one of these sort of pivotal moments, I think, where um, for Hicks and Gillette in America, any any hope they had of being these great businessmen was starting to be, you know, they were. Liverpool was a long way away, but now it wasn't. Liverpool was was getting into the faces. Well, again, yeah, and the um, you know the whole. The, the the whole thing about the internet for the first time, you know, the, the internet terrorism thing, you know, yes. was, um, <laughs> it, it's, you know, they, they, they were finding, they, they, they were finding things in their inboxes in the morning, which, you know, was, <laughs> which they didn't enjoy. And some of it, you know, some of it was unpleasant and over the top, but, you know, you've got to admit, but um, certainly they, they found themselves in a situation where they weren't prepared for the fan reaction and they weren't prepared for, the way uh, you know the, the Liverpool fan base responded, and, and 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 much of it was great. Some of it was a bit over the top, mm. but um, much of it was great, and it, you know it made a big point to them that they, they couldn't operate in the way they were operating. Yeah, I think that's the thing with that kind of protest as well. I, I always think to myself that if you sort of like, there's some sporting events where you have say six, seven, eight, nine judges, whatever, and they always take the the best and the worst mark off, and then they give you an average of what's left. And I think with protests like that, take take off the most extreme one way and the most extreme the other, and you've probably got a pretty good sort of idea of what people really think. And that that to me, you know, the bottom line was, you know, we were actually we were actually. We felt helpless in some ways, but then we didn't because then we realised the power we had in our strength, um, in strength in numbers. And obviously, the, the time came, I think, where I think even if Hicks and Gillette had somehow pulled a miracle and got some money, that for them to stay on as any kind of ownership, in any kind of control at least, it just became untenable. Um, but behind the scenes, to make that happen, obviously there were these official lines about the club being put up for sale i think the first one it was just looking for investment wasn't it and then the second one it was it was up for sale um i'm trying to think when perslow first came in but there were all these lines going on publicly but obviously privately they're trying to get the best deal they can but but there was no one with cash because you couldn't borrow money to to buy the club there was no one with cash coming forward but as time went on there were but i just remember there was again when we're talking about the lies we had this sort of Briefing against Rafa, there were certain people trying to brief against Rafa because they, they, they were worried about his power. They're paranoid about a load of people using forums on the internet. They can imagine how paranoid they were about Rafa, who just basically spoke his mind to some extent. I don't think he ever said everything he really felt, but he, cert- he certainly said enough to get them worried. But then on top of that, they were um, they were just worrying about... There was just so much sort of misinformation coming, I mean, from... Um, the the two owners they were kind of briefing against each other sometimes but then briefing together and there were even times i wondered whether the whole thing about them hating each other was actually a scam it was just so much misinformation it was difficult to keep on top of it but i do think in all things considered any any sort of relationship they had was literally purely on a business footing and they just did not want to spend a minute with each other no got to that point point didn't it you know and um it, it, it was quite funny that how much they hated each other at the end and and they were trying to screw each other financially <laughs> and leave each other to hang out to dry you know it's um and and of course none of this is good when you're a football club but what what was i mean at the same time you know united were having their struggles with the glazers yeah who clearly were more financially solvent and have been able to hang in you know and ironically they're they're up for the sale at the same time as liverpool are 
you know, it's um, the, the, the irony of that. Finally, um, and what, but one of the things is, you know, we, we were looking to get a common front with United fans, and that proved harder than you'd think. Yeah, I mean, we did little bits and bobs with them, but it, it, it's the mutual suspicions were too great. Yeah. I was like, you know what? There is a bigger good. There is a more important principle here than just hating each other. We can go back to hating each other on the pitch if we secure, you know, our, our futures and them. Um, but and and you know and um, and United won't like to hear it, but like it uh, the the bottom line in their process was green and gold until we start winning again. Yeah, and the green and gold that you can also buy from the club shop was one of my favourite bits of all that movement. Oh yeah, yeah, lining the pockets of the club again. But yeah, they were they were. I mean that that we're, we're different, same sort of goals. And I think there's definitely a core of United fans who would definitely up for who would definitely be up for kind of help you know joining forces with us and i spoke with plenty of them but as you say there's still that kind of um that's that kind of suspicion about them much the same as there would be with everton now i mean as liverpool and everton fans though we have fought together because we fought you know as people maybe more than fans we fought for justice for hillsborough as much as we can and i think it's that fighting spirit that that this city has that that other cities i i mean i might be wrong i don't think many other cities have that same that exactly the same spirit as Liverpool in terms of fighting, and um, as you say as well, it, it gives the, sometimes people look at it the wrong way. But one of the one of the other irritants at the time as well was that when there was a need to protest, there was this big sort of fight between fans almost of whether or not it was right to protest in the ground. Yet, you know, the, that's the stage. That's the stage that Liverpool play on. That's the place that gets on TV, and it used to wind me up a bit that. Okay, I get it. We don't want to be too disruptive, but the idea you can't bring a banner into the ground was one of the most laughable moments for me. That you know, you need to tell the world what's going on, and what better way than prime time TV across the world? You know, it's the same sort of logic as like, oh, you know, they shouldn't be striking because like it, it inconveniences people. Yeah. Well, it's meant <laughs> never, to. Never. That's the point. Unless, unless you actually express yourself and express your disapproval you know it's it's going to be like this one of the things i thought about the everton banners um in their protests they were all a bit too wordy and they all wanted to mm. rhyme and yeah. i'm like stop it stop it like you know i think one of the most effective banners that that was produced for us was like um yeah well obviously the yanks out said it simply yeah. but like the uh the personal penis was a classic that was my you favorite know, yeah you know we all love that but you know it's like Keep things simple, you know. Make make sure people know what you're asking for, and make sure people know who the enemies are. And if you do that, there's a better chance that you know your your um you know your your message will get across because it, sometimes it can be lost. Yeah, and I think I hate I hate giving any credit, but the the people the reason why we're having lots of strikes in this country is because of these like three word slogans and things that were used by the current party that's in power i can't think it's the same government because it keeps changing who's in charge of it but all this sort of get brexit done and all these sort of these all sort of short slogans that you know were, were empty basically what what was being said there was no sort of no sort of substance to it but the the way they worked is they got these things out there people were using them and the next thing you know we're being sort of sold off dumped and made to look a really bad country and all the rest of it because we're no longer part of the eu and obviously even they're admitting now that was wrong but yeah from everton fans yeah i agree some of those really are worthy and they're clever but it's more like um they need to write headlines on the banners don't they and then you know the the other stuff can come underneath you can explain that later on yeah yeah um i think also though something that that helped us 
And I don't think Liverpool fans can ever sort of underestimate. You know, as fans, we've had an absolute hatred of the media at times, but it's not the media is such a simple phrase. I mean, we're the media, the fact that we're doing these podcasts even. But it's not... It's, it's, it's been it's been our help as well, and it's just trying to distinguish between, I don't know, the sort of dark side of the media, the sort of typical sort of um, evil journalist type person that you'll see in many a sort of um, even Hollywood movie, you know, the, the one who's up to no good, but then the same side where, you know, the same people who are trying to uncover the people who are up to no good. And I think we got a hell of a lot of backing as fans from a hell of a lot of um, the mainstream press in this country, which... I think helped us massively. As much as the internet terrorists got the ball rolling and kept it going, those um, getting on the main into the mainstream media and reported so often in a in an understanding way was massive for us. I know you were part of that, but it wasn't just you. I think it's really important to um, to understand the way the media works, and the reality is most people who are involved. Uh, you know, are very keen to expose wrongdoers, and you know, because it's like. You know, I always think when when I look at like sort of things like police corruption and all that, I think to myself, how must they, you know, they must have gone into the business thinking that. Yeah. They must have gone into the business thinking, I can help, right? And it's the same a bit with the media. You know, you go into the business thinking, you know, the reason I'm working in newspapers now is ultimately because of Hillsborough, you know, mm. because a cataclysmic event happened to me. And, you know, I was, I, I wasn't anything to do with the media. And I was like, you know what, I can't, you know, I've got to try and, be part of trying to stop anything like this happen again and um and so you know so most people you know they, they they want to do good and sometimes you know sometimes there's those who have no morals and there's those who um who, who, who frankly only see doing good as doing good for themselves but most people in the media and and certainly the sports media most people in the sports media are fans you know they, yeah they they, they, they they think the bottom line i mean if people get bothered you know if you met who you support you know one of them as a they never bothered me let, letting people know because my view was you know we've got to be a supporter to do the job well you yeah. know i'm glad that football journalists support clubs because if they didn't they wouldn't get the feel and the the for once a better word, the passion that 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 that's involved you know in, in fandom and all that so i'm glad they do but like you know, people who support every sort of club could see the injustice that was going on, and could see the way some of our, you know, national institutions were being put in danger, and and trying the best to to, to help. And you know, what, yeah. what was for me, what was the, one of the worst moments is I, I, I sat down with Richard Scudamore. They, they, you know, they have like um, they have lunches where you you go and you sort of sit around and talk off the record, mm. and you know, it's um, you know, there's a lot of uh, off the record stuff goes on in journalism. So I always, mm. I'm, I'm 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 always amused by when people when you tweet up about stuff, you know, from from these things go, uh, he's made that up. How would he know that? <laughs> it's because they talk to you, dickheads. Anyway, <laughs> but like him. Um, you know, and like uh, we said to him, I said to him, I said, you know, there's got to be something in place where I said the horse is probably bolted. But for example, like a list of buildings, you should, you know, you should like agitate to get some legislation to protect football clubs. They can't be moved without a certain, um, you know, without certain preconditions being met. They can't change yeah. the kits because that's when cards have changed, you know, from blue to red, gotcha. and then um, at the whim of a, an Asian owner. And um, and you know you can't change the name and all that you know because the whole city tigers you know it's all that. And he said, oh no, you know he said the market will sort it all out. 
<laughs> and I was like, and the market never saw us out. And that was depressing because because I thought that was time for Scooter Moore and the things he did. You know, it's, um, there was much of what he did that that was that was good, um, of, of course. And I, I always felt his principles in general were in the right place, but uh, but you know, at, at things the effect of some of the things he was involved in was much worse than he imagined. Yeah. So. But, you know, the idea that the market would sort of those is not true. You know, a football club isn't just a business. It's, 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 there's more to it. There's emotional investment there. It's a sense of a community. It's something, it's something that, that is, resonates beyond just paying customers and, and getting results. You know, it's, it's, it's so much more. And I think that's, you know, when people are like laughing about Everton and going, ah, you know, Everton will go under if they go down, you know, and they don't get the, the stadium built. And everyone thinks it's really funny. It's not. No. Because it's it's going to have a huge effect on the community. It's going to have a huge effect on the city. And whenever a football club goes under, it's like when a pub shuts, it's never a good thing. It's never no. a good thing. You know, it's like, um, so, yeah, I take no pleasure in what's happening there. No, it's not like... Um... It's not like, oh, it's an electrical retailer that's gone. There'll be another electrical retailer along soon. I mean, you know, it, you know, there's, there's, the shops, em- there's, there's places empty in town centres, in city centres, because, you know, chances like, um, come along and buy companies like Devonham, say, and then run it into the ground and, and let it go under. And you can guarantee they're still sailing around on British, their yachts. British home stores. And yeah. you've got your connection to Everton. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, obviously the Littlewoods, the Littlewoods name was big, wasn't it? And that's kind of, Big with both clubs, um, although mm. it's the, the Moore's family, and it's it's just you know. But as you as we said, and it goes back to Hicks and Gillette, you know, doing a little bit of homework and sort of pretending that they understood about, and they use that word custodians, which has given me the shivers ever since. In all honesty, but it it is actually true. It is actually true. The club. And I used to hate seeing stuff that the club was putting out where halfway through a sentence, club would have a capital C because you knew it was like a bit of a corporate message then, a bit of a legal message then. Mm. It was like, you know, I've taken this out of terms and conditions. But the club, the club is the club. That's the thing that we love that, that we, you know, when, when you're, when you're watching the game, when you go in the game and all these other things, none of this other stuff bothers you watching the game. It's not, you don't give a damn who's sat in the director's box unless it's Kenny and he's going to give you a wave. You're not, you're not bothered. It's not, it's not something that you're interested in. It's what's on the pitch that matters. And there's a difference between the club that's the corporate entity, you know, Liverpool football club and athletics ground limited and LFC, you know, the, the, the initials we've scribbled on school books and things since we were kids and that sort of thing. There's a massive difference, and it's the same with every club. Um, I think, as you said, with pubs as well, I mean, you drive round any part of Liverpool that's kind of generally still the same as it was sort of 20, 30 years ago, and you see all these... Well, you see, you still see a lot of sort of derelict pubs, and you still see places that used to be pubs, and then you see gaps where the pub used to be, and they're just they're just gone, and that bit of community's gone. And the thing is, the comparison there is they'll never come back. No one's going to reopen a pub now to replace those that disappeared because that's it; it's gone. That 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 ship sailed. And if Everton go under, you know they'll never come back to what they were. It'd be be too much to ask. It's very rare that a football club gets formed these days and gets big. Um, it it just doesn't happen. So it's going to be. It's important that that we do keep vigilance. And again, as you say, FSG are you know potentially about as good as we're going to get without having some um, some governments actually taken us over. But we didn't. We sort of. I mean, we didn't know before FSG came along if we were going to be taken over by a government because one of the 
one of the big stories at the time, one of the big links was, well, there were all these sort of chances around who were talking about buying the club, all these people who were showing interest, all these names that were coming out. Um, obviously, only a few people actually knew how many people had shown that they had the funds or, you know, to be taken seriously but one one massive name we can't get rid of or one massive nation we can't get away from is china because we had a man <laughs> who was basically <laughs> telling us that we were being bought by well we assume by the chinese state yeah well it's uh and you know it's one of those that's uh you know uh china set to buy liverpool will be you know will be thrown at me until the bitter ends <laughs> it was quite funny that because you didn't um, even write the headline people forget that as well I, I didn't write any part of the story. That's the <laughs> thing about it. It's um, I was on holiday in Spain. <laughs> and you were, like, yeah, uh, yeah. And like, and, and what was um, what was amazing is uh, like the the journalist involved was is is a brilliant journalist. She's a a brilliant business journalist, and she's won she won lots of awards. She was as well connected as anyone, and she was particularly well connected to the royal bank of scotland and and basically the royal bank of scotland give her the story yeah and so for whatever for whatever nefarious means they had if they were indeed nefarious or they didn't believe them it was their story and actually when they, i say i was in spain and, and they called me that morning they said we're gonna put covers on the front page and i was like what mm-hmm. and you know it was like you know august is always silly season as they call it you know there's no parliament so you share the stories and things like that you know it's uh but i was like i, I mean knowing that helen had got the story i was like you know i, I mean i was completely you know it's like oh if she's got it, it must be stands up so i'm yeah, not yeah. saying you know it's like i can I, I made a couple of calls and i the only part i contributed to it was that um they they were setting up as a separate financial instrument to conduct the sale. Yeah. So it wouldn't be under the company whose it it names and like that. And that's the one bit of information I sent over, and she forgot to use it. So, <laughs> so my entire contribution to that front page story was 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 uh, uh, not but, but you know it's like she she was so well connected that I I just you know. I was I was thought well it must be nailed on and for them to put it on the front page, you know yeah. it's and then obviously it's, it's all rebounded. Um, you know there's a um, it's, you know it, it subsequently emerged that Kenny Wang who was involved in it was was playing a bit fast and loose with the truth and um, and uh, but then you know why would rbs brief this so yes. why would because uh, i mean the thing is that the times as well weren't the only people with the story no. they were just went hardest on it um you know so it's um i i i, I think that is the most questionable aspect of rbs's involvement in the whole thing and um and as i say they made that made us a subject of ridicule, and me in particular, a subject of ridicule. But do you think I care about? It? No. It's, um, you know, it's um, and the other thing was, and and the other the other big thing is, it showed how much resonance that Liverpool Football Club had. Yeah. Is that the the, the Times of London were prepared to put a a, a a takeover on the front page, and the and the thing about that, which is which is interesting, is that. You know, for for how for how many years, for how long would would it have been? People wouldn't have been, you know, the the the, the papers like the Times wouldn't have taken it seriously. No. And what what it actually did, 
to fear the pressure on both RBS and um, and uh, uh, and 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 um, Gillette and Hicks to get the sales on. So you know, I mean, over on the big scheme of things, you know, it's it's still a bit one of those. Uh, I do have a, a rueful laugh when it's brought up, <laughs> but you know, I, I I have to say, the worst thing that happened to me in my entire journalistic career is having to learn about things like pick notes, having to learn about financial instruments. Oh yeah, you know, I, I, when I when I grew up, I mean, I, and I came very late to journalism, so you know. I mean, I was going until I was 28 at Hillsborough, so it was another 18 months before I got into the journalism business. So I was coming up on, well, th- I was coming up on 30, 30 maybe. Um, so I spent all those years just going the match, and I didn't give a flying fuck about who was the owner. Mm-hmm. You know, I, d- I didn't care. It didn't matter. You know, the whole Bill Shankly thing, you know, it's, um, you know, the Holy Trinity, and, you know, and, and, and directors don't come into it. And so I, I just, you know, I'd never thought about it. And having to learn about this stuff and deal with people like this and, you know, um, the, the, the people in, in the Liverpool boardroom, no one have ever lied to me like some of those people. And not the current regime, but during the Gillette and Hicks periods. And, you know, and verifiable untruths. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that, that sounds like a, a, a contradiction in terms, but I could... I, I I could verify with one phone call that the what they were telling me were lies, and um, yeah. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan. I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. And it's just like that, that, that whole takeover saga. And thankfully we haven't seen it growing this way for this one well, i'm sure it took years of my life god yeah i think it did for all of us it was it was the misinformation as you say kept flowing and the thing is this wasn't just gossip i mean like you mentioned about rbs this wasn't like you know some some young some young person in one of the local rbs branches misunderstanding something or falling for something you know someone you know someone's opened a savings account and and managed to diddle the bank out of a couple of grand this was like we're talking rbs big boys here we're talking like the big corporate people in you know in the city of london not you know not some sort of outpost or anything like that these the the fact these people were giving this information out there was obviously some some reason for it but this guy this guy was believable from what from what everyone says because obviously we we don't understand the financial world that much we we kind of picked it up on the fly as we've gone along and hoped for the best and we've you know 
occasionally thinking, I hope this is correct, what I'm saying. But anyway, you know, you, you kind of get a basic <laughs> understanding of it. But there, there were people who work in that world who had little reason to doubt it as well. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't sort of, it was very, very clever wherever was going on. But I don't know, it's, um, did it, did it sort of, did it make it harder for us to sell the club that this was going on? Because was it, is it, you know, how long were FSG on the scene? Because we didn't know about them till the very last minute, did we? Well, apparently they were fairly, fairly late on it. And, and which is, shows you that, uh, you know, there, there weren't that many viable buyers around, which is in common with today. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, um, you'd think people would be queuing up to buy a Liverpool football club, especially at the knockdown price it went for back in 2010, which um, I was assured by John Henry was right when I said it was 218 not 300 million and uh, and the rest was an overdraft facility yeah. um so you know i mean god if i was not was 218 million i might have asked the bank manager myself and said look you know yeah. <laughs> hey, you know lend us a few quid you know, we can make we can make some money out of this and boy will they make a lot of money when they eventually do sell um yeah. you know it's uh, and and you know and uh, some of that is sheer luck well and some of it's credit to them the way they've They've changed things there, and they've they've done things with the merchandise and and um, and, and the commercial sides of things, which have, they've done better than was being done before, mind you. That wasn't hard. No, um, but you know, it's a, but they, they do deserve a fair amount of credit, and they've not put they've never once put they haven't taken money out of the club, and they haven't put it into debt. No, that's so, the other thing as well, isn't it? Yeah, the debt side of it. I mean, when we're going back to then, I mean, it, you know, hindsight's a great thing, but I can remember thinking, you know, if if the banks would just sort of stand up and say, look, we can give you some sensible finance here. You know, you're good to pay this off. Liverpool was good to pay that debt off. You know, it could have, you know, the money that was coming in, you know, on a sensible repayment, uh, on sen- sensible repayment terms, Liverpool could have easily been self-sufficient with that, given some breathing space. And basically that's what, to me, FSG did. They gave Liverpool as a club the breathing space to get on top of its debts and, you know, to get things paid off and, that's what it needed at the time. It didn't necessarily need, you know, it didn't need sort of, it felt like it was sort of in cardiac arrest. It, you know, it literally needed life-saving, but maybe maybe it didn't. He just kind of needed pulling to one side, brushing off a little bit and, you know, and being pointed back in the right direction. Yeah, I think one of the things that we, we, we didn't realise is how much of a, um, how, how much of a sea change the game was undergoing at the yeah. time. And, um, it was, you know, it, it was at the point where it was about to become unrecognisable from what we'd seen before. I mean, apart from on the pitch and all that, I mean, in financial terms. Yeah. So I, I think that that's something that we never quite understood at the time. And it really is, it, it's, it, it's one of those situations where... Um, we, we, if we would have known where we were going to be with the way Man City would would operate in the next decade, yeah. the way UEFA would cravenly back down in front of them, the way the courts would, well, the way City were able to find loopholes yeah. and, and and exploit them, I think we would have been much more. Um, I think we, you know, sort of, we we would have been. I don't know. I mean, what would we have said? We probably would have just shook our heads and said, "God knows how it's going to turn out." Yeah. Best of luck. Um, but yeah, I mean, the game changed out of all recognition. And for for you know, with Fenway's point of view, 
from how they were going to operate and they were you know they, they weren't going to go and spend like drunken sailors and like you know and or, or like a state-owned entity um then you know the the, the They've done remarkably well. You know, if you would have said to me in 2010, these bunch of Americans are going to come in, they're going to win, they're going to win the league and they're going to win the Champions League, I would have been like, whoa, you know, I'll have a bit of that. You know, it's uh, and you know, and 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 so that yeah, they do deserve credit for that. And to do that in in the way the landscape of football was changing is in is, is very remarkable, it really is. Um, so I, I, you know, so so credit to them there, but but yeah, they've clearly reached the end of their the wanting to to do it that way, you know, wanting to, to do it that way, and they realise that it won't be viable in future, um, and and certainly by the look of the changes in the financial fair play rules, if they are gonna just fine clubs who overspend, essentially it's just a tax on overspending, yeah. and you know and. And City will just go, yeah, yeah, fine, that'll suit me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's, here's some extra money. It's just a, just a levy on sign and stuff. They do that. You can see why Fenway would run for cover. Um, so, yeah, I think whatever happens, we're going to be in a difficult period going forward. But um, I think the last five years have been uh, a, an age we'll look back on and, and we'll be grateful we were there for. Oh yeah, I mean, it's the, the thing is, I mean, there's, it's never quiet being a Liverpool fan, is it? There's never like a quiet week. There's always something happening. We say this on these podcasts. We sort of come on and think, what are we going to talk about? And there's always something to talk about. And sometimes it's good fun. Sometimes it's not. I think, I think the one one memory I've got as well from back then is how much I learned to listen carefully to what people were saying as well, because you'd hear things like, um, "There won't be any debt on the club," which technically was true, wasn't it? Because <laughs> Technically, that debt wasn't on the club. It was on cop holdings or the other cop holdings or cop football or what, all these other holdings companies that were then linked to companies that were out of... Um, you couldn't scrutinise because they were in some sort of remote offshore island or something. And, you know, this is something I think anyone who's looking at takeovers that are going on now and they're trying to sort of scrutinise and hold people to account is just listen properly to the wording. Yeah, yeah. And the one thing, you, you know, what what you, you shouldn't be able to do is a leverage buyout by by a club with money that has been loaned to the club, mm. and that's just you know that that that's ridiculous, and and of course that happens to Liverpool, it happens to United, yeah. and um, you know and and you'd hope that the rules prevent similar happening now, but as you say, Jim, uh, the one thing we learned about we learned we learned about Marylands, we learned about the British Virgin <laughs> Islands, we learned about where you could hide money. And, you know, if I ever got very rich and I wanted to do a re-smog and I wanted to squirrel away me um, money I should be paying taxes on, oh, I know where to go now. And I wish it didn't. I wish it didn't. Yeah, that's the trouble. It's a world that we... This is, And this is the other thing, the other side to it as well. It's a world that we we don't really know about or shouldn't know about and don't want to know about. It's not... You know, we don't want that. I mean, the thing... I mean, football's always been kind of... It's kind of always needed sort of someone with a bit of cash to sort of bankroller club I think that that's been the case for years it's you know so many clubs even Liverpool back in the olden days you know it's thanks to the the the, the fortunes of the pools and the home shopping that the football pools and the home shopping that Liverpool kind of had money to sort of fall back on but there's always been a kind of it was always sensible with the money those directors whose whose names we didn't really know were the people who were running it in a sensible way but 
then again, some of those directors down the years have been the same kind of people who've maybe stood in the way of getting it getting it to be where it should be. I think. Um, I mean, I just I'm just remembering to when the club. David Morse tried so hard to sell the club, but didn't want to sell the club. And in the end, I just think the biggest mistake he made was instead of selling the club, was just getting someone to run it who had the right the right the right mind to do it and give them yeah. freedom. You know, that, that's not even having a go at Rick Parry because I don't think Rick Parry had 100% control. He was, you know, you just need someone who's got that that ability because you're talking about leverage buyouts. If if the club had borrowed that money. And done it in a way that the you know there was a, it was a means to an end. It wasn't just for the sake of it. It wasn't just to get transfers that money was going to be lost. You know the idea was it it would improve and get back. We wouldn't be in this position now, and maybe that, that club you know the, the club would still be our club. It still is our club, but you know what I mean. Well, I think I think if that that's the problem. I mean, if if they could all have seen the future, <laughs> everyone would have behaved differently, and. Um, and sadly, you can't. It's one of those things where it's, it's you know, I, I think I think when you, you look back now and you see the criticism that Rick Parry got and still receives, and, you, and I'm, I'm, I was one of his harshest critics at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, you, and, and I, think, I think a lot of it was unfair, you know, it's, um, including my own criticism. And again, I think that's another aspect of it where you think, while the civil war was going on and everyone was taking sides, well, if we would have worked together, we mm. might have, you know, because sometimes what we were doing, we were picking the wrong enemies. Yeah. And that's as much true of the players and some of the former players as it was of people like us. Yeah. And, you know, and, and you know, um, you know, and, and I love, like, and, and, you know, even within journalism, sort of, you know, you can see some of the old resentments, and they just, you know, they hung around for years. And you know, I, I say, like, I, I was like, you know, come on, we, we, we all really run the same side. We mm. wanted football clubs to be, to be, to be, to be transparent, to be, you know, to be uh, this flag bearer for the community, and to be, to be what we always, you know. Not not to be a cash cow for the worst sort of rapacious businessmen, and and we all wanted that, and yet we were all too busy fighting each other for various periods, and um, and I think that's probably if I look back, the thing that changed most is I'd, I'd realise who, which side, you know that we all should have been on, you know yeah. that we that people who sometimes appeared to be on the other side. You know, I should have thought more closely about what they were trying to do, and um, and yeah, you know, we all should have been anti-Christian personal. God, yeah. I mean, Warren. I mean, um, I don't. Know if, I don't know if people know this. If you watch in this country, if you watch Channel Four, and they've got the ident sometimes before a Channel Four program. There's a bit that's on a street in Liverpool. There's people kicking a ball around, kids kicking a ball around. Then it it lands on top of this great big metal number four for Channel Four. But that's in um, it's in a part of Liverpool where there's a street called Cecil Street, and every time I've driven past there. It just reminds me of Chris. What's his name? Christian Mark Cecil Perslow, just known yes. as Cecil to us. Um, again, he's someone who he was definitely involved behind the scenes longer than he ever owned up to. Before he was officially announced as having anything to do with the club, he was definitely there. And again, I still think you know the Fernando Torres of finance, whatever he was called. <laughs> if he was, you know, I mean, we 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 got the Chelsea version, didn't we, of the Fernando Torres of finance? He was. He could have found us money. He could have found us a buyer. He could have done us way a lot more than he did if he was as good as he ever said he was. 
Yeah, well, that was the problem. I mean, he told everyone that he was he, he was going to get together a bit, bit and he was going to be the owner. Um, you know, he was going to be the lead, of, of, you know, in the ownership. And quite a few people got excited by that. And yeah. as it turns out, it was none of it was true. So, um, you know, and of course, he's over at, at Villa now, where they've, um, they've they've actually done good work finally in employing Unai Emery as the manager, and I think they'll do well. And of course. Uh, Pesto will make sure he gets all the praise he can. Oh, for yeah, him. you know, so and, and never, never shy of hogging the praise. No, no, I mean, it's um, I mean, another example actually, let's 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 do this. I mean, it's not so much on the takeover, but I mean, the the big reason people are angry now, any Liverpool fans angry now about the ownership is because the transfer windows basically people want. You know, to, to simplify it, for good or bad reasons, people want us to spend 10 times what we're spending in the transfer window and they want us to get the right players. Yet, if, isn't it right that one day Perslow went to the media and briefed them off the, re- off the record, of course, and said things to them that he hadn't even told Rafa about potential signings that we had lined up? Oh, I think I was off. I was off his Christmas card list by then. But <laughs> but yeah, there were plenty of briefings about various stuff to, um, you know, to which were had no had no uh, no truth in reality. You know, so there was a lot of that going on, and um, and yeah, it's uh, all kinds of things were being said, and uh, and a, a lot of them. I, I mean, that would say like one of the worst things about it all was the 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 the, the fact that we were we we were having to go through this and 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 it's always it's the worst thing of in in all these things from Hillsborough through to you know to, and I'm not comparing the two but through to, no. to, to the club but like when people that you should be able to trust to tell you the truth lie to you. Mm. then something is rotten at the core of this society because it stretches. And when people come from from backgrounds where they think you're basically you're dumb enough, you're you're too dumb yes. to recognise a lie. And and you know, class came into it an awful lot and all of these things. Um you know, it, it you know, it is particularly offensive. So, you know, it's uh, but yeah, the, the 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 lies, the lies, oh man. There's just so many of them. Yeah, it was never ending, and I think that's another thing when you say about about the class thing as well. It's that that also is like you're not important enough for the truth. We're just going to give you this. We're going to fob you off with these lies now because you don't really matter. You're not that important. This will do. You know this this story will do. You'll fall for that now. Can you get out of the way? I've got my uh, you know my Rolls Royce is uh, is ready to start moving. You know it's that kind of like looking down on everyone and that that kind of approach. And that's that's exactly what. I don't think we've got that with FSG. For all the money they've got, the billionaire status and all the rest of it, um, they, they quite clearly live in a different world to me. But I do still think that, whether they're doing things the right way or not, it's another matter, but I do still think that the hearts are definitely in the right place and they understand they understand what we want from this club. Whether we can give it or not is another matter. It's like, you know, you've got, you, everyone's had a, he's got, his parents has had a day when the child's really, really wanted something and you'd love to give it to them, but, I can't, you know, and it's that, you know, we as fans shouldn't be spoiled brats about these things, should we? No, and I think, you know, I think what, what the situation is, you know, personal call and SOS 
the sons of strikers. You know, oh, it's a, yes, exactly. It's a, the contempt there, and you know, and then you've it, it, so it's a difference. You know, so it's a, you look for symbolic moments. And it was the moment when um, uh, you, you'd, I was going to take John Henry back to the Times offices. Uh, it was the day of Margaret Thatcher's. Um, um, uh, memorial service. Oh yeah, uh, and um, and so I, I got a cab. Cabby said to me, "Nothing's going east, mate, with this service on." He said, "Like you know, if I was you, I'd just get the tube. You'll be way quicker." And I said to I said to John, thinking, "Oh well, you know, good. I don't have to take him back to the office with me. You know, so I, said, yeah. I can get onto somewhere." I said, "You know, I've, I've got to take the tube." I said, "You know, maybe do it another day." And he goes, oh, "You know, what's this tube?" He goes, "Oh." Oh, the underground goes. I'll, I'll just go with you. And, you know, it's, uh, and so I had to take him on the tube, and it was it's a, the stupidest question I've ever asked in my entire career. I said to him, "As we got to, so have you got an oyster card?" <laughs> of course, he didn't have an oyster card. But anyway, he, he was quite happy on the tube going there, and I couldn't imagine. I, I think um, certain other people who have been involved in the club would 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 regard taking public transport as below their dignity. Yeah, beneath them. Yeah, they don't want to go in there with the common unwashed people, do they? Um, yeah, well, I think, you know what, we, we we spent an hour talking about the takeover and the stuff, and it went on for years, there was so much going on, and I think, I mean, if we sat down and looked through old emails and things now, we'd probably find things we've completely forgotten about, there was just so much going on, but... Um, I think I think the the two things to take from it was they were very bad times for the club. We're literally talking seriously. I remember being on Sky Sports News, talking about the club going into receivership and saying at the moment it felt like that was better than the way things were because at least at least then we'd be able to kind of start again and instead of being left in limbo like we were, um, and hopefully you know not go completely out of existence. But that's how desperate they were. They were the dark times, but the good times were the fact that you know. We made new friends, including people we'd never met and didn't meet for a couple of years later, according to that dossier. Um, <laughs> it, it was that togetherness. And again, you know, but that's not the shit we should be fighting over. We shouldn't be fighting, again, not to make a, a direct comparison, we shouldn't be fighting for things like Hillsborough. We shouldn't be fighting for things like who owns the club. But the bottom line is, when, you, when you're a football fan, what you do is you work together for your team. You're the 12th man. And I think, you know, we were the 12th man. And as bad as it was, there were some, some good times as well in all that in terms of... You know, being part of that fight was was so important and so um, something I'll always look back on in, I wouldn't say fondly, but you know, with a bit of a smile to some extent, because because we fought and I think we kind of won. Oh uh, yeah, and, and there were some moments of crass stupidity. For example, when when uh, when we walked into the crack that night and um and and Gillette was sitting in the back room <laughs> and like and this was my chance to get him to pin him down, and of course that was my round. So I went to the bar, <laughs> like, and someone saw me and tipped him off, and he was out the back. So I had to chase him, like, uh, you know, come, come back, Mister Gillette, and the gentleman from the Times, and you know, it's like it's, it's one of them, but typical scouts. Uh, it's my round. I'll just go to the bar first, then I'll grab him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you wouldn't. Uh, you never. I mean, you would. You'd never ever want to be known for like missing out on your round, would you? So that. Yeah, I'd be, be getting slagged now. Oh, you know what? You used Gillette as an excuse, like to, uh, you know. But, yeah. uh, you know, it was his round to get away with it. Yeah, can't, can believe, can't believe he was in there, to be honest. I didn't think. Oh, it, was, it was very, very funny. It was, um, you know, uh, it's that that was a mad weekend of the, uh, at the big protest march. And um, it was like, oh, you know, yeah. I remember going into the press box at Anfield for the half-12 kickoff against Man United. And I'd been up after night 
plotting with various characters. And obviously there was another <laughs> drink taken, then up to the march, and um, more drink taken. And I sat down next to Henry Winter in the press box, and he was like all dressed in a suit and all that. And I looked and smelt like a tramp. Uh, happy <laughs> days, happy days. Oh, we'll have to we'll have to go through them again. I think not go through the days itself again, but talk about them again. I don't want to go through all that again. Yeah, meeting up and and protesting and marching and having to do all these banners and stuff. But you know what? The truth is, if we have to, we will forget your sort of protests that aren't for real, like you've tried to do last weekend, whoever that was. You know, wait till you really need to protest. Get your powder dry. Yeah. That's the thing to keep in your mind. Anyone who's worried about the club now, listen. Between us, as, as a fan base, we'll not let them mess us about. We we will sort it and. Um, as we've done before, we'll always do again. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks Tony for um, sharing those memories as well. Because uh, yeah, they were good. They were good, good times as much as they were bad. And <sighs> we will be back again soon with another episode of Scouts Tommy's. Thanks for listening. Um, keep an ear out for all the other stuff on Anfield Index as well, and we will see you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index, and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.